Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. I am beyond excited this week to have my guests that are going to talk to us all about the beauty industry and leveraging technology to really take your business to the next level. And for them, they are a new startup business that was going to launch an in-person uh, shop, but had to take a quick turn and pivot uh, because of the COVID crisis. And we want to talk with them about how they have leveraged tech, how they've used their background to create this amazing opportunity for other women in the beauty industry and how they themselves are really uh, forging the way and becoming disruptors in this industry. So I want to welcome to the show Sonia and Sylvie. Sonia is, uh, both ladies are, were born in France. And so uh, this is just really exciting for me because I feel like that's the home of where a lot of beauty products and makeup has, has, has come. So I know they have a lot of great background. Um, both of them are moms. They have, uh, Sonia has a master's in science and finance and Sylvie has a master's degree in marketing and international business. Both of these women use these uh, educational platforms and have found their roles together as business partners. They take their products and they have created an online um, company called Boutique, Boutique NYC. And I just want to dive right in and have them tell us our story about their products, how they've been able to source their products, how they've been able to use their background to really drive where they want their business to go. So welcome, ladies, and thank you for being with me today. Thank you for having us. So, Sonia, I'm going to start with you. Tell me a little bit about your story and how you have come from having, uh, having a master's in finance, working in the, the financial world, to pivoting into being in the beauty industry. Okay, I'm going to try to make it short. <laughs> well, you can make it short and long. It, both ways okay. work. Uh, well, my background is uh, I came from Tunisia. Even if I'm born in France, uh, I went to Canada to study, do my master's degree in finance because apparently I was very good in math. Then I was like, okay, finance is interesting. And when I was doing my master's degree, which was very uh, – financial markets. It was not really the corporate finance. Um, when I was doing it, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But like financial analyst was good, but that was not really what was driving me. But I have no idea which business I would do. Then I said, okay, I'm going to do like everybody working until I find something to do. Mm -hmm. And I started working. I was not really a uh, uh, like heavy working in finance. I was more in business management. I even started as an assistant of a big businessman in Montreal. 
And even when I started that job, uh, it's because I, I wanted to learn from him. I was like uh, starving for learning how I can do a business. And my plan was, okay, I'm going to work until 35. And by that time, I will have enough money uh, and an idea about which business I'm going to open. Uh, of course, life never happened exactly like we planned. <laughs> then at 35, um, I, I had experience in many, many things, especially in management. I opened a few uh, businesses, but they were not like super like I wanted. I opened a restaurant with um, a partner in the family. Um, it was not really a passion. And at 35, I was okay. I, I hit the... the you know, a certain level that I need to start my business, my own business. And I have a skincare problem. I have psoriasis. And um, I'm very analytical by nature. Uh, then analyze, I analyze everything. And I think it's almost sometimes a, a it could be a sickness at the limit, but I analyze a lot. If I, I'm in an industry, I analyze it. I want to understand it. And I was, okay, I'm 35 and I don't know exactly which business. Okay, let's uh, maybe something I really know, my skin, because I have a skin problem and I know how to treat it well. Then I stopped working. Um, I was working at that time in a video game company. And I just stopped working. And I said, I'm going to start a business. And I had no idea which wow. business I would do. Then it was risky. It's not something that I would advise to anybody. And I was a single mom. But I said, that's what it is. That's my thing. That's my drive. That's my dream. I need to do it. And uh, it came up to me uh, to do maybe something that treats my skin well. And I, was, I discovered at that time uh, somebody like from a family, uh, far, uh, I don't know, uh, not a very close member of the family, but he opened a farm that, is, uh, that created uh, oil from prickly pear seed which was a discovery and uh, where I come from is a very small city there's no big industry and I was using it it was amazing I was oh okay oh, maybe okay. this is what I need to make the word discover then it started very slow it was not and that was in Montreal that was not in New York and uh, it takes I mean it takes a lot of investment I did a business plan but it was like just Mm, and I was a single mom at the time. And an opportunity came here in New York for me. Uh, I came to work as a financial analyst, finally. And uh, I was, okay, um, but I still need to do this. I mean, this is really something I really love. Um, and I started to learn about the industry. And this is where my financial background is very helpful because I was analyzing everything. I was analyzing the industry. And here it's like the best place to learn about the industry, even not beauty, any industry, because this is where it happens. Then I was going to events. I was learning, taking classes here and there. And uh, I had my first product. I went to trade shows. And I started to see the challenges uh, about a startup, about a beauty brand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the difficulties and uh, where there's difficulties, I uh, try to push it more, push it more. Right. And um, this is this is where um, I come from. Um, and uh, 
the, for boutique, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I met Sylvie three years ago. We're both in beauty industry. And uh, we, uh, she has her own brand. She, uh, she has the same challenger or different. She's an entrepreneur. And we start being friends. And we start like doing things together for the business, not boutique especially. And uh, th this started to, uh, you know, there was, this is a white space that was there uh, because we felt for uh, us as uh, small businesses, small beauty brands, I mean, even if we have an amazing product, we have an amazing mission because both of us have a mission. Uh, we were like a little bit um, not getting where we want to get exactly. Right. And uh, this is... Um, how I, we came up. I don't know if you want to talk about boutique now, but this is... Well, well yeah, I, I will in a minute. I want to talk a little to, to Sonia a little bit about... You are Sonia. Sylvie, um, about her background and how I like your story that you found each other through the beauty industry and having... The piece that I think is really great about that is that you found each other and you found a confidant and a mentor in one another and being able to support because, as you mentioned, the beauty industry is not easy. And having a product and figuring out the best way to market and sell and make sure that um, all of your P's and Q's and T's or all the things are crossed and dotted and all those are in order. So having a support system is really important. And I, I think you find that really in any industry or any as we're moving through our careers. So Sylvie, tell me a little bit about your background and what brought you into the beauty industry. Uh, of course. Um, so I, my background is actually cut in two because I've had uh, my life in Europe, my business life in Europe. And uh, for the last uh, 13 years, almost 14, my life here in the U.S. And I had to literally change career at some point because in Europe, I was, uh, when I was a young uh, woman going into business, I was fascinated by tech. Uh, it was oh, the uh, mid-90s, uh, end of the yeah, <laughs> I can associate you know with that. I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not a doctor anyway. But I was more always on the marketing and business side. Uh, what fascinated me, and we were talking like late '90s when you know technology. We didn't have internet back then, so we just started having internet back then. So mm -hmm. um, my fascination was for um, underdogs and challengers that were disrupting the industry. So I worked very early. And all my friends who were interested in like L'Oreal and like big groups were amazed by my choices because I wanted to be part of the telecom revolution that was happening in Europe. Like there was the incumbent operator, uh, which was the national big fat um, telephone, if you want, provider. Mm -hmm. And there were actually American companies coming to Europe and France in particular when I was back then in Paris wanted to, you know, open the market to competition. So I felt there was a big something happening and I wanted to be part of it, which was not very easy because, like you said, my, um, my degree was not in tech. Uh, it was marketing and international affairs. And I was here like super young in my 20s, mm -hmm. full of ambition and energy, surrounded by engineers and guys, male, who were judging yeah. me and who were laughing at me most of the time. And, uh, but I think I was good in marketing and I got lucky to find people who gave me my chance. And uh, it was wonderful, wonderful experience to be able to be 
you know, taking part of this mini revolution. And I learned so much uh, in terms of, um, I don't know, mo technical marketing. So right. that was my, uh, and I loved it. Uh, that was my time in Europe. And then I had to change career because we moved from Paris to London and then London to the U.S., uh, and I became actually fascinated by something else, <laughs> which was um, intercultural challenges. How you do business, you know usually how to do business mm -hmm. in your own country, you're pretty good, but you never know really, really well how to do business when you change country because you have to take into account a uh, dimension that is new, which is culture. Not only language, but really culture. Like Americans do business a certain way, French do business another way, English, Italians, and also... That became my thing when I came to the U.S. and I was back then working for a bank and I was in a position of, uh, uh, we're doing like investment banking and advisory services to French companies developing in the U.S. So that became my, uh, my new expertise, my new challenge. And this is, uh, I could write a book or maybe like a series about it. Um, well, you should. And I, what, sorry? I said you should. I should. Yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah. one day <laughs> when I grow older, maybe. Um, and progressively and ran a little bit randomly, actually, I fell into beauty. Um, we started doing like a few operations at the bank involving beauty. And I discovered, actually, I had a very um, actually unclear understanding of beauty from the outside saying, oh, yeah, beauty was something I was using at home, but not mm -hmm. so much. I was not a beauty junk, junkie or whatever. And then I started discovering, discovering high beauty, uh, how beauty from a business perspective is actually very technical, uh, moving products, inventory, formulation. I mean, all the, uh, the, 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 the part of the iceberg that we don't see. Uh, right. was actually very technical and you never talk when you do when you talk I don't know to Sephora or that type of people selling products you never talk about the color and the nice texture and everything you talk about numbers and it's the technical part and I felt very um, interested in two things actually um, again the technical part of beauty and how it's text in terms of technicality uh, to put a good product together uh, which entails a lot of things like packaging. It has to look good. It has to smell good. It has to be technically uh, advanced. I mean, mm -hmm. a ton of things. And the consumer aspect of it. How do you make the consumer adopt another new cream? They're not in a faces on this, in this country, and God knows there's a lot of faces in this country, but a number of creams that go out every day. Mm -hmm. So that became my thing too, into that uh, once I moved away a little bit from the intercultural challenges that were remain unsolved, actually, um, so I decided to concentrate on that and the uh, entry to market uh, of uh, niche brands. Uh, how do you convince the consumer where you don't have like millions of dollars to put on the table? And how do you get to the psychology of the consumer um, and make them, you know, know your product and adopt your product and like it and talk about it? So that's my, in short, my, uh, my journey uh, since I was uh, 23 when I started working, and I'm now 49, so it's been uh, a little while. Um, it's a pretty incredible journey, both of you, to, to listen to how you have moved through your career and built upon your career and used your culture, your background, and then, then your passion. So tell me, um, uh, Sonia, your product that you worked to develop came because you had your own skin issue. What were the steps that you took? So you 
you started using the product that was grown by your family member and in something that was unique. How did you begin to cultivate that into a product that you thought would be something that others would want to use? I studied the market. Uh, like I'm not in the marketing, but I have a strength to analyze, as I said. Then I did yes. much everything by myself. I did the branding. I was studying uh, the competition. <laughs> then I was seeing what are the products that are the competing with this the closest possible. Mm-hmm. Then I was spending days in Sephora and I was buying the products and analyzing the packaging, analyzing their website. It was not about uh, copying. It was about how are they doing it right. without spending uh, a ton of money uh, because I didn't have it anyway. Then I needed to be uh, analytical uh, then I did the branding um, and I did the branding in a way that because let's say my product is strong, is powerful, then I was, okay, what's the color that will fit my products? Black is about powerful. It's precious. Okay, then gold. It needs to be gold. Then I was not copying anything. I was just trying to translate and bring the story uh, also because it's a community business somehow because my uh, hometown is pretty like 40% uh, unemployment rate. And for me, this is a mission. If it works very well and it becomes a very successful business, it's going to help my hometown as well. And uh, I mean, I did the packaging, every details, uh, the product, the lab, the feeling that I was learning. Everything was a learning. Every step, I was not knowing it. I was not knowing anything about it. And uh, when I saw the reaction, when I went to a trade show and I saw the reaction of people, this is where it was a confirmation that, okay, the work is good. That's fantastic. So when you took it to the trade show, did you take, were you going with the intent to sell or were you going with the intent to do product research? Uh, no, I was really uh, very aggressive. <laughs> I wanted mm-hmm. to see. I wanted to see the buyers, the retailer, how people would react. Not about the consumer. Then uh, I hired three people <laughs> with me, and I was like, "You have to go everywhere to bring people to talk about the brand. I want to have the maximum reaction." Then, of course, I want to sell like any brands because it's about selling at the end. Mm-hmm. But the reaction also. Uh, I want to see if it's. I'm, I'm I on the right uh, fit, but the product was there already. Uh, then if it was not, it will need like a big shift. Then I, I was wishing that everything was right. Of course, not everything was right. But the most important, the packaging people liked the brand. They liked the product. And uh, I had a few customers from there. Then I was uh, happy about it. Then That's It wonderful. was not exactly like I wanted, but it was good. Well, and it's the process. It's the process of learning, a process of failing forward, figuring out that you know the first time that you put something out there, it may not be exactly what every customer may want. Um, Sylvie mentioned this about getting into the psychology of a customer and understanding what they're going to purchase. How important to you is it... uh, Sylvia, you mentioned a bit about the niche market and finding that niche of beauty. But within beauty, how important is it to find your, your, your niche or your niche in terms of age? For your products in particular, you have your own line of products. What did you focus on and, and where did you travel to end up finding? Like, do you 
reach to women that are over 40? Are you in the age of 20 to 30 year olds? How did you begin to cultivate that piece of your uh, product line? Age uh, becomes very difficult to uh, actually to factor because now you have uh, women looking at anti-aging super early in the early 20s. They're already looking at anti-aging. I think Estee Lauder is selling products more and more to this age group. So, Mm -hmm. um, so age is always a little difficult here, especially in this country. Uh, where there's this uh, this willingness to never age, so uh, and people tend to be very much. Um, I mean, every day you look at the internet and the press and the media, and there's always a new anti-aging uh, wonder and uh, pretending and making you think that you're never going to age. So factoring the age. Um, it's quite difficult because especially when you do some sort of like anti-aging, my product myself is not my, my, myself, my product <laughs> is, uh, is a sun protection um, solution, uh, which is a sun mm-hmm. protection system that could very much appeal to anybody from, I don't know, 15, my, my kids, my daughter who's 13 is supplying it. I make her apply it. Not, she doesn't like it, but she doesn't <laughs> like to apply too many products, but I force right. her. Um, until like I have clients that have 65 plus. So um, age is something we look at, obviously, but you're also going to mix that with, for instance, um, uh, the, uh, where people live. Are they more urban? Are they more uh, living outside of, uh, of some cities? Because the, we, we see that the consumption of products is different. Uh, also the type of problems that they're having. And uh, you look also at the type of uh, money that they spend. So uh, somehow there's some sort of link or you expect there's some sort of a link between the age and the, uh, the amount of money you make, but not so much when it comes to beauty. So it's a sort of like, it's a constant um, uh, mix of those different factors. And that's why you look at the, uh, at the need. Uh, talking about niche, you look at the need and the type of problem you're solving. And this problem can be identified by a woman of 20 years old or by a woman or still not by a woman of 45 years old. It's very... Uh, it's getting very blurry, uh, the age uh, approach. Uh, you know, and I can absolutely relate to that. I can think, you know, the sun product is for sure going to have a bigger uh, capture than just age. And um, I like, there was a couple of things that you said that were really important that I think for an entrepreneur has to go through um, your head over and over again is if there is a problem, how are you solving that problem? And are you solving it in a way in which is going to market to the group that you want to market to? What is their problem, and what is the solution that you're so- what is the solution that you're providing? I-, I like that a lot because I think as entrepreneurs or even entrepreneurs or or whatever it is that you're doing in your career, most of the time you're looking to solve a problem and use a skill set that you have or one that you need to learn in order to help solve that problem. Uh, Sonia, you did that with your with your own skin. And then for you, Sylvie, um, in turning, helping uh, the international culture and finding that blend between the two different cultures and then using that to help drive you into the beauty industry. I'm curious to know, as you two became, uh, became friends and began to grow as uh, friends and then as confidants and, and in the industry, were there other places that the two of you 
look to in, in terms of, of keeping your skill set up uh, with analytics, with understanding the industry. Both of you have mentioned data and uh, in, in a way and doing the analytics, doing the research, understanding the market, understanding your, your customer. The both of you came together as friends, you began to become, uh, to, to work together as colleagues. What other places did you seek in the beauty industry to help you continue to learn more about, about the industry and how it was growing? Um, well, for, for me, um, where I learn is first is my customer, <laughs> and this is how I learn from them. Uh, I ask questions. There's even customer, wholesale customer. I, I, I want to know exactly what's working, not working. And this is, for me, very important. Uh, but for the industry, as I'm not really a veteran in the beauty industry, for me, whatever is a learning. I, I, I took classes to uh, be have a certificate in formulation. Not because I want to be a formulator. It's just I want to understand what's the ingredient, what's doing what, uh, to have more technical thing. And this is a, like this is um, studying and analyzing. It's data, even if it's mm -hmm. not numbers. It's data too. I go to see uh, for the events. I analyze the events in a way. I don't go just for networking. I want to see what's what are they doing. That way I can go a step further. Then I go to events to learn about the companies that are there, the ones that are successful. I study the company itself to see how they're working, whatever, even their financial statement. I see how it works, how their finances are, even the structure. Um, then this is my way of uh, seeing the industry and seeing what's not working, the challenges that I have as a beauty brand. Uh, these challenges, I try to find another way <laughs> with whatever I learned uh, on the in the market. Then this is how I do it. I think that's incredible. That's exactly what I was hoping you would say: is that you use your own skill set and you ask your own customers, and you take that information and use it for knowledge to move your product forward. I think mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Sylvie, when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you the same question again about where your gaining your new uh, your information and then I want to talk a lot about boutique and how you have really created this amazing opportunity for your customers to have a virtual experience but not just your ordinary virtual experience the way in which you've incorporated technology and the and the products into your website is really stunning and I want to dig into that a little bit more right after our break we'll be right back Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From face-to-face -face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the .consulting.co. 
the world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Coding the Future. Before we left for break, we were talking with Sonia and Sylvie about where they're finding their information as women in the beauty industry and disruptors in the beauty industry. How are they learning and learning more about what's going on, educating themselves and getting ready to continue to innovate with their business. And so before we left, Sonia mentioned that she does a lot of research with her own customers. When she goes to events, she studies the events, um, looks at how they're implementing the event, how they're implementing the products so that she can glean from that what would work best for her and for their, their now partnered venture together. Sylvia, how about you? Where have you looked to? Oh, the other thing Sonia mentioned was taking the class in continuing to take education classes, which I think is amazing to know, have a really good overview of the all, all different aspects of the industry. Sylvia, how about yourself? Where do you look to continue to grow your skill set and grow your knowledge in the beauty industry? Um, for the past 10 years, I've been a, an advisor actually to um, niche beauty brands. So I've seen a lot of them uh, that I've had myself to uh, develop or redevelop sometimes in situations that were not, uh, not very nice, not very good situations. So mm-hmm. I got confronted myself a lot with uh, what was, uh, how do you spin this product? How do you talk about it? How do you differentiate it? And what I was always missing, actually, was the, uh, the consumer feedback because you can spend, like, hours and classes and, and, uh, and I've done that in the past, too, you know, taking classes on how to do good marketing and whatever, but your moment of truth is really the consumer. It's really about how the cons- what the consumer needs. Again, I'm going to come back to what I keep saying, mm-hmm. uh, what the consumer needs, and in a certain, to a certain extent, but not too far, what they think they can need uh, right but don't be too optimistic about that because it's uh, it's a it's a it's a difficult one so yeah so that was um so me what i started doing actually very early uh when i was managing those brands and operating those brands and advising those brands that i was trying to get as close as possible as fast as possible to the consumer saying hey what are you using for i don't know anti-aging or cleansing or body care whatever it was um, what are you missing? And usually the answer is, I'm fine. I don't miss anything. And here I was with my challenge, <laughs> 
to sell this product no matter what and to sell it through uh, retailers uh, that needed to have some traction. So um, I was, I flipped it at some point uh, and I decided to work from the consumer perspective and to uh, forget about all those massive description and documents that we got from the chemists and from the marketing people and whatever saying, okay, Let's start from the consumer. So I got, um, I have a very hands-on uh, approach when it comes to marketing. Of course, you need to have the science and to be able to um, promote the products and what they're doing. And this is a lot of work and it comes from chemists and very technical people. But if you want to do the, uh, the right marketing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come from uh, the consumer. And to finish up on how um, I'm learning, um, so I'm not as analytical as Sonia. She's, she's very, very analytical and she analyzes absolutely everything, which is a blessing <laughs> to work with someone like that. But uh, me, I talk a lot with brands. Uh, I've always had brands around me, brand founders. Uh, and that's actually how we met with Sonia is that we met as brand founders saying, hey, you have your challenges. I have mine. They seem to be quite equal. So talking to brands and never thinking that, uh, you know, um, that um, bad things happen only to others, uh, that they're an exception. Uh, you feel that, uh, and when you scratch the surface, uh, a lot of indie brands, independent brands, actually, and niche brands, encounter the same problem. Sometimes they want to put a good face on it, saying, no, everything's fine, my, my launch is awesome, and I'm doing, I'm rocking it, which might be true, and uh, hopefully it is, uh, but a lot of time you see that they're struggling with the same situations, so mm-hmm. two things to finish up on that. Uh, not every brand is going to make it because there's so many, so right. many, especially in skincare and cosmetics, so many of them launching every day. Um, so of course, there's not space for everybody. Uh, but among those who can make it, uh, there's a lot of, um, it's very difficult for these brands to uh uh, to exist. There was an article the other day in Beauty Matter, which we like very much in terms of, uh, of uh, media in the industry, was talking about a $1.5 million would be what you need uh, to launch a brand successfully. Wow. Uh, not everyone has $1.5 million. So when you don't have the $1.5 million, you learn other ways and you learn elsewhere. And even when you have the $1.5 million, you have to keep learning and hear and listening to your fellow brand founders and uh, the consumer. Two things you mentioned that are really, really important in your description, keep learning. And even if you have what you think you need, you still have to keep learning. That mentality can never go away. And because even as we grow and we become more knowledgeable with age and with time and with career, we still have to keep learning. We, that I think that never goes away and, and staying on top of what is important in our industry keeps us innovating and on the edge. That being said, the two of you are brand founders. You have established yourselves and you're, you're making your way in the beauty industry. You've now come together as business partners at the end of 2019 and you have launched um, Boutique NYC that eventually will be a retail front once we move past some of this, uh, the, the, the COVID pandemic. But right now, you are online. Talk to me about how this virtual experience came to be, and was that always your thought process, or did it really just come to life because you knew that your in-person retail storefront would be put on pause until we could move past the pandemic? 
And Sonia, I'll turn to you on this one since I am told that you are the that this you have been driving the tech um, in it so far. Well, uh, yeah, uh, how in, in December, we decided to open a store in Soho where brands can showcase like a subscription model. They have a shelf. They showcase their brand because mm-hmm. we have that need. And Soho like is really the place to discover people that go there to discover products, companies. And um, we were like, okay, we wanted in, for the brands, we wanted a place to do events, PR, we're going to do the marketing. And of course, marketing is totally a Sylvie thing. I mean, she was like having so many programs, we're going to do this and that. And uh, for the customer point uh point of view was about uh, more than skincare and makeup because of our backgrounds we feel like beauty is much more than that even in mm-hmm. now it's breaking it in intimate care and nutrition the beauty supplement we mm-hmm. felt there is much more uh, around that we believe that uh, empowerment mental empowerment talking about uh, sexual wellness even if it's not a subject that people talk about um, uh, nutrition in a broader way And uh, having the store is the central point for uh, beauty brands and more wellness and health to be discovered, to be discovered by savvy uh, customer in Soho. And this is how we started. We uh, started the company and we were so fast, uh, both of us. We were like, in a week, we're going to send our first email to brands. And we were like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and we Incredible. started that way. Uh, and we said, okay, uh, it's uh, like the rent is very high here. Then to take a really uh, a smart decision is we need to have a commitment for some brands uh, and put the money in the escrow account. We're not going to use the money, but it's to have a commitment to say, mm-hmm. okay, that's really we had commitment from a few brands and we were like in Mar- uh, in May it was in spring 2020 that we were going to open the store and we started to look for stores and they hit, uh, the COVID hit in uh, mm-hmm. March and um, this is how it started I don't know if you want to add something uh, Sylvie about it uh, the, the pivoting uh, to the 3D and everything, because when it hit, nobody knew what it was about, like right. where we were going. Uh, then Selvi said, okay, let's do a webinar, you know, uh, let's, uh, we're going to help each other. Then uh, Selvi put up webinars uh, in place to help the brands, because everybody mm-hmm. was in an unknown uh, situation. We didn't know what to do. And in the meanwhile, we were like, okay, we're going to open the store. We're gonna, but, but after two weeks, we knew this is not going to happen so fast. And uh, very fast, we were, okay, how are we going? Of course, the online part was part of, because it's an omni-channel uh, space, then mm-hmm. the online part was part of our plans. And sure. Right. But not on a 3D level. We didn't mm-hmm. go there because the store was really the center point. And uh, we said, how can we do something so, so close to what we want to do? Because we need to do events. The brand has to talk about their brands. How can we do that in a regular website? This is, uh, this is not doable. And uh, we were working, of course, because we were planning to open a store. Then we were working with designer, architects. 
uh, that did the plan for us. And uh, this is how, I mean, the question came up. We know that 3D exists. We're not inventing it, but mm -hmm. not for the uh, uh, website. And we're like questioning, what can we do? Can, can we do a 3D website? No, yes. Yeah. And uh, it was just, yeah, maybe, I, I think it's possible. Okay, but this is how we started. Then we started looking for uh, a, a developer. We were not looking for somebody who said, we were like, we. that's what we want to do. We want to do a 3D. We want to do exactly like our store on the 3D space to replicate exactly what we wanted to do on the real space. And uh, this is how we started, like, really, our thinking process. So is the 3D, the store that we see on your website now, which is beautyboutique.nyc, so it's B-E-A-U-T-Y-Q-U-E dot N-Y-C. Mm -hmm. When users go to the homepage, you immediately see this virtual opportunity. Which I think is genius because the two things that you mentioned in, in the conversation was the experience. And what I have learned in anything uh, over my years of education is that we need to ignite all, all of our senses usually in order for us to really create that memory and create that experience um, or, or create that learning moment. And so I like what you said about the store being a central hub for experience, for businesses to be able to launch, showcase their brand, for people to really understand who the who behind the brand. The other piece that I think is really uh, genius that you all did was because you two found a spot where both of you were struggling as independent founders to find a place to showcase your product and sell your product that you now are offering this space where other people, other you're opening your doors for other independent founders to be able to come in and help with that $1.5 million launch piece they need, you're providing a space for them to do that. When you were creating the online piece, Sylvie, were, did you leverage part of what you'd already created with the architect? I mean, is what we see on the website what you think your store will look like when it opens? Yeah, that was exactly the... Uh that was made by the architect. That was uh, exactly what the store was going to look like and it's certainly going to look like when it happens. Mm -hmm. So we literally decided to, uh, like Sonia said, since we wanted to recreate that uh, physical experience the best possible way, the first thing we decided to do was to uh, transpose that uh, architect work onto the 3D, wanted it to look like a real store. And actually a lot of people think that we have a store and this is that a video of the store, which is not exactly true yet, but one day it will. So yeah, we decided to, um, to transpose that and we actually factored and took into account all the conversations, not only what we knew from our own experience, but also all the conversations that we had had with brands to add to this uh, store everything that we thought would be uh, missing and needed and appreciated if you want both for the brands and from the consumer perspective because at that point we had moved into uh, quarantine for most of us mm -hmm. or um, forced or not. And so everybody was a little uh, like lost, like what am I going to do? How am I going to, especially for beauty products, when you have to try the product and you have mm -hmm. to feel the product. So this is where we, uh, we decided to... Um, to go beyond what uh, Sonia usually calls the boring, regular e-commerce store. We also have the e-commerce side, of course, because our brands are able to sell 
but really wanted to offer the brands and uh, the consumer that space where they can have an experience, which is very new. And actually, we happen to be the, uh, the first one um, to do what we did um, just because we had, we used our common sense and uh, a couple of, a couple of wonderful people that we met, you mentioned the developer that we have on board, the architect, and this is a very small team, but uh, very entrepreneurial. And, um, the word impossible for us is, uh, quite like, uh, doesn't exist. I mean, it's the first that I've seen. And that's why I was drawn to both of you because as, um, someone who loves tech, when I saw the, the ability, and this is something that I have a convert, I've had a conversation with regularly with other educators, with other uh, colleagues in my industry about being able to cultivate this experience online, because it is hard to replicate that, the in-person look. And I was so drawn to the way in which how artfully and simply you created the 3D piece. That's the thing I think it's really genius again I've said that word a couple of times because I just it's so easy to navigate around and it's not overdone and because it can become a bit complex for people if they get on and they're in this virtually sometimes can make people go cuckoo right trying to figure out where I mean I know for you when I put on virtual glasses I was like oh my goodness so this 3D piece and how simply it's done is is well stated. When you talked about this to your brands, what was their reaction? Were they excited? Did, what was their initial kind of thought process? And you saying, we're going to put this, we're going to put it out there virtually uh, as a 3D model. Everybody was so excited. You know, remember that mid-March situation where everybody was seeing the retailers closing and some mm-hmm. of them had the uh, orders canceled uh, consumers were sort of like finding, like taking up their breath. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like uh, this crisis situation hit us all of a sudden. So for brands, it was a, uh, it was a bless, not a blessing, but it was an opportunity. So we had two types of reactions. Uh, I mean, all of them were uh, very much positive and yes, we're on board and for two types of reasons. One, because uh, for some brands, it was the only way to um, exist and keep going and keep going through the crisis, waiting for the new normal to happen. And nobody knew back then, even now, what it would look like and when. Mm -hmm. And other brands that were more advanced, uh, maybe, and more mature, uh, that really jumped on the the ship because they wanted to, they felt it was so, like you said, you said genius or whatever, but they liked the project and they said, they like the innovative part of it and the disruptive part of it, and they wanted mm-hmm. to be associated to that. So we had those two, um, if you want, uh, reactions coming together. And uh, overall, uh, we've only had uh, positive uh, reactions from brands. And it's one of the very few positive initiatives that happened in retail for a while, especially yeah. in the time of crisis. Absolutely. Sonia, I'm going to ask you, because I know from your analytical side, what have you seen from your customers? Have you seen a positive response from the customers? Have you, what have you been able to analyze from the past few months of launching the website, launching this brand, and how do you think that's going to help you make decisions going forward? 
it, first, it's a lot of the, the, the reaction, the traffic. I mean, people really want to see what it is. And uh, this is the first thing. Uh, for, for, from a data point of view, uh, customer Sylvie will be better than me to answer this question. Uh, but in, in terms of attraction, curiosity of seeing and navigating around. Uh, we still very new to have enough history, you know, and uh, give um, a, a tendency or a, a pattern because it's less than two months. Sure. And for us, we are really gathering the data, um, but we have good data since it started, yeah, but not enough to have a pattern, not enough then I will be not able to give you like a straight answer about this. And I can, I, I commend you in saying that, that the pattern has not been shown yet. Mm-hmm. Sylvie, have you seen any responses from your customers? Just, I mean, immediate response that you think will help guide you as you continue down the road over the next couple of months? Yeah, we've seen, um, well, overall, like I said, enthusiastic response and, you know, into uh, some of our brands have been with us now for almost like two months uh, and they love it. So number one, uh, you know, this partnership is working. And one thing that uh, is working really well, too, is the community. Those brand founders uh, are creating, we're creating a community and they are really, really uh, into it. They love it. So we had a, a Zoom meeting with all of them the other day. Um, big brands, smaller brands, uh, guys, women, whatever. It's fantastic to see, especially in times of crisis like uh, we, in, we, are, we are today, uh, this community coming together and helping each other out. Uh, so that's great. Um, and we're also looking at the consumer side, um, so the community also that we're creating. So we want to do more than just uh, you know, create a humongous database to people that we send emails to saying, hey, today we have a discount on brand A and B and C and tomorrow it's going to be whatever. It's really about giving this consumer um, a uh, ways if you want to um, make her own definition and idea of beauty, wellness in general. Uh, beauty is very different from everyone, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to move away with Sonia. We have this very important things that we want to move away from trends uh, beauty is not about the looks, it's not about the trends, it's not about how you look like, it's about how you feel. And, uh, and it's your own business. Um, so that's from the consumer perspective. And I insisted a lot on how uh, this is important for consumers. So we really want to bring that community together also around uh, topics that are not necessarily selling products. Uh, exposing them to brands by um, just having, uh, like for instance, right now we're running an operation that's very instructive because we are asking consumers to judge, evaluate, if you want, brands and how uh, they receive those brands from a marketing perspective. So, and they love it. People love being involved in um, giving, having their say in how the brand is, the vibe of the brand, how the brand is communicating. So that's going to be a very um very interesting set of information and data uh, for mm-hmm. our customers. So we're providing, you know, our brands and our consumers with things that they like doing and that they need, uh, and they need each other anyway. Mm-hmm. So we are building that community aspect on both sides and programs in the middle that are uh, that allow us, if you want, to build the metrics, build the data, build the traffic, 
uh, and drive the traffic. It's not so much about building, it's about driving. driving. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not so much about building a humongous database, but building the right database. Um, so that's what we've seen. And the feedback from our consumers, our brand, sorry, is uh, so far extremely positive. Uh, it brings them a lot of traction, brings them a lot of energy, uh, ideas, uh, tools. Uh, we make them produce video content. And sometimes these brands have never done video, for instance. So we help them out, uh, you know, stepping up and getting into partly what we can call the modern world. Now it's all about videos. Um, so we, and we try and we test and learn every day. So, uh, and we do that as a team. Yes, I think what is going through my brain right now is the Venn diagram. Like I'm seeing the circles of the way you're pulling the data from the customers, from your brands, and then in the middle, creating that experience that's unique for both and sharing that information. And um, in technology or in computer science, which is my world, I often say that data is what drives everything. So even in marketing and creation, knowing what your customer wants, knowing and understanding those numbers is what's going to move the business forward. As we begin to wrap up our time, which we we could really, I could talk to you guys for another half an hour um, or more. I'd like to know what is a piece of advice or an action item that you could give our listeners right now if they are wanting to think about moving into starting their own business or even if they're thinking about just taking a step to do something different than they're doing right now. What is an action item or a piece of advice that you could share that has helped you get to where you are right now? Uh, Sonia, I'll start with you. Well, my first piece of advice would be perseverance. Is success doesn't come like on the first try. Mm-hmm. If you really want to be an entrepreneur or you want to change a job or whatever is the change that we want to do, is keep doing it no matter what's your age. Keep doing it again and again and again until you understand better, better, better until you get it. Mm-hmm. And for me, for me, this is what works. It's, I, I, I'm not going to stop until I have it. I'm going to understand mm-hmm. this. But this is the piece of advice number one. Um, don't put yourself at risk like me starting and I have nothing around me or stopping working and starting a business. I think this is too risky and sometimes could lead to. Then just uh, do it uh, little by little until you get it and you can stop what you are doing and start something new. That's those two advice. I think that's great. It's uh, finding your passion and a little bit at a time, moving it into... I always call it your side hustle until you're ready to make it your full hustle. Yes, totally. Sylvie, how about yourself? I would say um, talk to people who've done it, uh, but don't don't pick the people you you're interested in. I mean, try to talk also to people who failed. Uh, failure is part of success, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very can be very positive, but it can be also very uh, traumatizing. So you have to be very aware of um, the possibility of failure. So you can never be sure of anything before you you jump into entrepreneurship, but uh, try to prepare your project, talk to people. Uh, Yes, if you have a side hustle, which is cool, but you have to very quickly know if it's going to be a uh, hobby or if it can be a business. Right. And sometimes there's a huge world behind both, uh, between Mm -hmm. both. So, 
talk to people who've done it. Uh, again, go to the consumer and uh, the response to your product, your service, to whatever it is you want to do is going to tell you if it's um, going to become a viable business or if it's just a good idea. If people don't buy it or don't buy it easily, keep it as a hobby, but don't expect to make it as a business. Great advice. Ladies, it's been an absolute joy. I cannot wait for more uh, listeners and customers to go and see your incredible work, the time you put into it, how you have built this on grit and honesty and authenticity is unbelievable. And the fact that you're opening the doors for so many other business owners to come in and work with you and share your space is simply incredible. I invite all of our listeners to check out their website at boutique.nyc. It's B-E-A-U-T-Y-Q-U-E.nyc. And if you'd like to find out more about my work and what I do with working with uh, customers, uh, corporate and education systems to help integrate technology and computer science into their everyday world, you can find that at the.consulting.co. Thank you, ladies, so much. And we can't wait to see everyone again on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then. 